Father, uh, Lord, we do look forward, God, as we begin this new study, looking into uh, the world through the eyes of Peter and what was going on in, in his time and how that can influence us and what's happening in our lives. So I do pray that you would just, uh, Lord, open up our hearts mostly to receive from you. God, it's, we do need to hear physically, but we also need to hear spiritually. So do the work that only you can do by your spirit. And I pray this would be a time just of encouragement and edification, building up, Lord, so we can face the things coming our way and that we can be the church, Lord, that rises up in this time and is a light in our community and that we would shine bright in this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, a little bit of background on what's happening. Peter's writing this at a time where persecution is picking up. It's not escalated huge yet, but it's starting to pick up. And what Peter knows is it's going to get a lot worse. And eventually Peter's going to be martyred. Paul's going to be martyred. Nero is, is the one coming on the scene. And he's seeing all of that. So I want us to think about he's writing to the church to challenge the church to really, really find out, hey, am I really walking with the Lord? So I've called this whole study Posers Beware. Because if we're faking it, it's going to come out. So Peter's challenging them, but as he begins here, I want us to really pay attention here in this very beginning of the things he has to say to the church that is getting ready to face all of that. He knows it's coming, and I think they know it's coming. And what does he say to them? And some of the, you know, the, the, the songs, it's funny because Rob and I, Pastor Rob and I don't communicate a lot about what we're doing and where we're teaching, but that set of three songs tonight really goes along definitely with what we're talking about here in this passage. So let's get started. We'll talk a little bit about Peter, about who he's writing to and what's happening. But it starts out in verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, now, I'm going to stop there because obviously he's being introduced. I'm always amazed when I begin a study and I start researching and looking at what different people say and how the higher critics want to question, is this really Peter or not? And if you guys have been here anytime, you know I'm a simple guy. And if Peter says Peter wrote it, I'm going with Peter. You know, I don't really care. I don't really care what the critics say and what they're doing. And listen, it's, it's interesting to me, especially this part. Everybody accepted Peter wrote this until the 19th century. And then we got so smart that we could figure out he didn't write it. So again, I'm going with what the Holy Spirit says. I'm going with what Peter says. And I'll go with what our church fathers say way before I go with what the critics want to say. So this Peter, he says, Peter an apostle. Now, most of us know, right? We know Peter. Or at least we think we do. The fun thing about Peter is this year as you're reading through the Gospels, pay attention to how much Peter speaks how much Peter is spoken to by Jesus and the interaction. And you know what's amazing is he's kind of a big highlight through the Gospels if you really pay attention. 
Peter's always involved in something, right? He's one of those guys. He, he kind of reminds me of the guy that, that, man, I just gotta be involved. And even if I do it wrong, at least I'm involved, right? And I'm part of it. So there's a lot going on. Peter, Peter's the only one who ever rebuked Jesus, right? Remember when he called Jesus? <laughs> I'm thinking, dude, well, you don't, just don't do that, Pete, right? But he's that guy. We know him as the, 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 the you know, overreaction and then overreaction back, right? At the, when they were washing feet, when Jesus was washing feet, remember what he said? Not me. You're not gonna wash me. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have nothing to do. Then wash my whole body, right? He goes, he's, he's kind of that guy. And then my, my favorite is when Peter walked on water. I love that scene. The storm's coming. They freak out. Jesus is out there and Peter goes, Lord, tell me to come to you. Just come on. And he did great till he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? But then don't you love, he also utters my favorite prayer. Lord, help. Right? Because we all think we have to be eloquent and have to say everything just right. And, and, you know, if you don't do this just right. And what did Peter do? He just said, Lord, help. And Jesus went, I wonder if he's really sincere. I wonder if he really means. And that's sometimes how we act. And we act like God is going to question our motives. And, and what did Jesus do? He grabbed him right away, right? And he got in the boat. And then I have my own theory of what happened in the boat. Because I think the other guys go, you're such a dork. You embarrass us all the time. You do those things. Why do you do that? And Peter would tell them, yeah, well, I walked on water and you didn't. So let's talk about who's who. So this is Peter. This is a guy writing it. But notice what he says, because I think it's impo uh, uh, impossible, important. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the apostle. If you know some of church history, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church believe he was the first pope, which is, I don't think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a false teaching. I think Peter was the first pope. We don't even know if Peter was ever in Rome. Although at the end of this book, he says he's writing from Babylon, which everybody says that's a code word for Rome. And I just am throwing that out there. Now you have to stay through the whole study and we'll discuss it when we get to the end of what he really meant by that. But listen, he's, He's not boasting. He's not saying, I'm the guy. And if you know the list, right, the list of the apostles, who's always number one? Peter. And then, as I said, he gets the most press in the Gospels, but he doesn't play on that. Here's what he says. I'm just an apostle. And he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, something a little bit different from Paul's is he doesn't say, you know, by the will of God. He doesn't defend his apostleship. He just states it. And something we're going to find about Peter is Peter just states things and goes on. He doesn't bother to try and defend them. He doesn't make them palatable at all. He just states them and moves on as though it's fact because he believes it's fact. So that's the one who's writing. And then he says, listen, I'm writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So listen, this is a big, this is a big group that he's writing to. And if you look in the back of your Bible, not right now, when, later on, if you look in the back, you'll see that the, the map and you'll see this is basically Asia Minor, what was called then, or the, the, the state, the country of Turkey today. So that's kind of that big area. And what fascinates me is he didn't plant these churches. Paul planted these churches. 
But he's writing to people, he says, to pilgrims or strangers, if you will, or the scattered. And then he says the, the, the dispersion or the diaspora, which is a term usually used about Israel going into captivity. So a lot of people say they believe he's writing to Jewish believers. And because he was the apostle to the Jews, right? When you read the book of Acts, he's got all the front end of Acts where they're working in Jerusalem and, and doing that way. Although he's the first one to go to Gentiles, he does that. But listen, I think he's writing, I think he's just writing to the church. And I think as he talks about this, here's what he knows. They're scattered and they're, they're pilgrims, they're strangers in this place because they don't belong here. Just like we don't belong here. And he says, you're strangers, you're aliens, if you will. And I think it's important that we begin to understand, listen, our citizenship's not here. You might be a citizen of the U.S., you might be a citizen of one of the uh, other countries, but our true citizenship is in heaven. And he says, you're strangers. I, I love that idea. You don't belong, and it's not so much that they don't belong in, in these places that he names. You don't belong here and you're scattered. Listen, God has taken them and scattered them. So who's he writing to? I think he's writing to the church in general. If you're familiar with how some scholars divide up the Bible, this is one of the letters they call a general epistle, meaning it's written generally to the church at large, not a specific church like Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians. And we just looked at Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. They were written to specific. This is written just kind of shotgun out there to those. And here's what we do know. They're struggling now, but it's going to get a lot worse. And I want us to pay attention to how Peter addresses what's coming. Because sometimes I think we focus too much on what's coming rather than on our current relationship with the Lord and where we're at with him. Here's what I know in my life. I should be able to walk through anything because I have Jesus. And I shouldn't get all scared and afraid and fretful about what's coming because I have Jesus. And that's what I keep wanting to say, Paul, that's what Peter's trying to get these guys to gather. So who's the author? Peter. Who's he writing to? The churches in Turkey. And then here's what I love. After he lays out the geographical part, he says in verse two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Did you pick up something there? He brings up the Trinity without even bringing up the Trinity, right? He just kind of, and, and again, it's fascinating to me how writers of the Bible just say things and they don't have to justify them. They don't have to go into a long explanation. They don't have to justify, they don't have to, like, it's okay that I said this. He just says it. He says, here's who you are. Now, we need to understand, this is who we are. He's writing to the church. We're the church, right? Nod your heads. Some of you are not sure. Then go like this if you're not part of the church. But listen, we're the church and he's writing to us. And then he gives us some information here. I think it's comforting. Some people, you know, as he starts here, man, some people are ready to fight right away. Notice what he says. He says, hey, church, you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He brings up the idea of election. 
He doesn't bring it up so much as a theological idea. Here's how Peter brings it up. It's a matter of fact. He doesn't question it. He doesn't try and figure it out. He doesn't even attempt to explain it. Here's what he says. You are elect. Now, I know some people listen. Some people get real uptight. They don't like that. They, 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 they get like, I don't believe in that. Well, you know what? You cannot believe in it. I don't care. Like, I know some people don't believe in hell. It doesn't take hell away. People tell me that sometimes. I don't believe in hell. And I said, it doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. It's there. Now, listen. He says, he says we're elect. And I think we get uptight because of this. I think we try and understand God from our perspective rather than understanding God from God's perspective. And here's what happens because we're biased people, because we can be influenced by certain things, and because we know we can do that, and we know certain things are gonna come our way, we know that our choosing isn't very good because we can make bad choices. Let me tell you something. God never makes a bad choice, ever, ever. And God is good. God is faithful, God is just, God is loving, God is kind. I can go on and on. So if I have that kind of God, why would I be uptight if he's gonna elect certain things? I shouldn't be that uptight. It's kind of interesting talking about this with what's going on in Congress right now, but that's a whole different side note. Some of you aren't reading papers anymore, so I get that. So listen, he says, he says, listen though, Listen to this, and here's where it gets really, really funky. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does he mean by that? When he brings up this whole idea of foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of that. I know some people say, well, if it's foreknowledge, it means known beforehand. And that God knew certain things beforehand, therefore he did that. And bottom line is people will say God looked in, because God knows everything, he looked in the future and he chose those who were going to choose him. That's not election. That's reaction. And you got to understand that. Now listen, I know God knows everything. And I know he doesn't learn anything. So I get that. But that word there is not talking about just knowing beforehand. I've had good friends who have told me that God, because it's like, and, and they'll explain it like this. It's like, you know, when you sit at one place and watch a parade and you're just in one place and it goes by and you just see each piece as it goes by. Or if you get up in the air and you get in a blimp or something, you can see the parade from the beginning to the end. And they explain foreknowledge that way. And I go, so you're just saying God has a better seat? It's kind of weird. And I know, listen, I know this is freaky a little bit, but listen, I believe God chose us based on nothing but his love. And we need to understand, he didn't, he didn't look ahead and go, oh, Pat, you're gonna be so wonderful. I believe if God looked ahead and saw me, he'd be shaking his head. Ah, ah, man, I'm not rolling the dice with that guy. And some of, you, some of you, I know, you're really good people. So God would definitely pick you. <laughs> Listen, God foreordained. Here's an interesting thing. This word, you can read later on in verse 20 of this chapter. Don't read it right now. 
He uses the same exact word talking about the fact that Jesus was chosen for our salvation to go to the cross. Now tell me God looked ahead and saw that Jesus was gonna go to the cross and that's why he chose to do that. No, we all know that, right? We know he had a plan from the beginning of the world. Then you can't, listen, here's the thing. You can't have the word one place one way and another place another way. And then you can read in Acts uh, chapter two, I think it's verse 23. You can look that up later on. And it's the same word talking about Jesus was foreordained or foreknown uh, to suffer on the cross. So here's the thing. God chose us based on his foreknowledge. Uh, did that include he could see ahead? Absolutely, you can't take that away. But greater than that, it was based on, here's the way I look at it, his plan. And if God has a plan, we all know and we repeat it all the time, God is going to work his plan out. Well, if he can work his plan out for the world, can't he work his plan out for me? Sure. So listen, first of all, he says, and, and so what is Paul, ta or Paul, what is Peter talking about? First of all, he says, we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So the Father, listen, the Father chooses us, the Spirit sanctifies us. How good is that? And again, some of you think you're good because you're good. You're not good because you're good. You're good because the Spirit is working in you. And the Spirit is, is doing that work in you. And you're sanctified by the Spirit. You're set apart, number one. When we're born again, we're set apart by the Spirit. That's part of sanctification. But then we become holy because of the work of the Spirit in our life and what he's doing. And I love that whole idea. So do you, are you kind of picking up what, what Peter's talking about here? He's saying, I'm writing to those people who are strangers, aliens, who are scattered around this area of Turkey who are saved, right? They're elect by the foreknowledge of God, sanctification of the Spirit, and the last one for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Listen carefully. He's talking about the fact that why are we saved and why are we who we are? It's because of the blood of Jesus sprinkled on us. Now, not so much literally. Obviously, everyone in here has not been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, but we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. We've been brought into the body of Christ because of his blood. If you go back and look at the terminology, you've got to remember Peter's a Jew. And you go back and Peter's got to have kind of in his mind, I think, Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, when Moses is making the covenant with the people, he gets the, the blood and he sprinkles the covenant with the blood. Then he takes that blood and he sprinkles the people. And what does that do instantly when he sprinkles the people? It makes them people of the covenant. And here's what Peter's saying us, to us. We're people of the covenant the new covenant, and we're sprinkled by that blood. And he talks about obedience. Yeah, we have the obedience to, to follow Christ, and, and then we have that sprinkling in us. So bottom line, Peter's writing to the church, the church of Jesus Christ. I love that. So now, listen, now just in case we're not really sure who we are, and you're still a little bit mixed up, and some of you I know are still kind of trying to, some of you are still going, I don't like that whole foreknowledge and election thing and stuff, and it's okay, you don't have to like it. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't really care if you like something or not? 
Have you figured that out? He just goes on with it. So listen, now, now he says this. He says all of that is going to cause, I think, the end of his introduction here at the end of verse two. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. How is grace and peace gonna be multiplied? You know how it's multiplied in your life? When you come to the realization that you are part of the body of Christ because of what God the Father has done, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. That makes you part of that. And that grace and that peace is gonna be multiplied and your God is going to get bigger and the grace and the peace is gonna get bigger and then God is gonna get bigger and then the grace and peace is gonna get bigger and you're gonna face things in your life that you can walk right through. Why? Because I know God and because I have a relationship with him. So that's, that's, how he starts this. Now again, he's writing to people who are messed up and trying to figure life out. And then he says this, verse three. It's interesting, three through five, a lot of people call it a doxology. Like I'm not that kind of guy. Like I can't imagine singing this. And I think it's just, listen, I think it's just Peter and you know, maybe, maybe I'm not formal enough. Maybe I need to get a little more formal. I didn't go to a, you know, I, I've shared with you, I went to an Orthodox church that was real ritualistic, so I didn't get all the doxology and, uh, you know, all those things going on. And like four commentaries that I studied said, this is such a great doxology, and here's what I thought. I think it's three great verses, but I don't know much about a dox or an ology, but, you know, I think it's three great verses. So, so I think Peter is doing this. I don't think he was trying to give us something to recite or chant. I think he's saying, I know what you're gonna go through. And I know how hard life is about to get for believers. So let's think about that for a moment. Where are we at historically? Kind of at a crossroads, I think. I think the world's definitely at a crossroads. I don't think life's gonna get easier for believers especially. I think it's gonna get a little more difficult. So if it's gonna get more difficult, I want all the tools I can have to face that difficulty. And that's what Peter's looking at. Life is gonna get real difficult for you guys, so let me load you up with tools, but even greater than that, let me load you up with the assurance of your salvation and maybe even scare some of you into salvation that are a bunch of posers. And this is the whole letter. Listen, I think, I think verse three definitely states, uh, or at least three, four, and five, definitely states the purpose of the whole letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that's enough just to get you excited, isn't it? Listen, he's just like, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm writing this, I'm Peter, I'm writing it to the church, and you need to know that you're strangers, you're aliens. I was reading somebody on, on that section, and they said they were traveling from Budapest to someplace and, and crossing a border, and I don't remember which border they were going into. And the border crossing guys were like gruff and mean, and you know, I think it was, I think it was in the 50s or something. But anyway, they're trying to go across, and these border guys come on, and they're being mean, and then... One of the guys came on and one of the ladies, I think, had a Bible. And he goes, oh, I see you have a Bible. And he said, yeah. And he goes, then you're not citizens of America because they'd shown them their passports. You're not citizens of America. And he goes, they go, yeah, we are. And he goes, no, you're not. You're citizens of heaven. 
Yes. Isn't that who we are? So listen, because we're citizens of heaven, here's what Peter says. He says, bless be, and I think it's okay to bless God, right? Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, an interesting thing, kind of do this study. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, I think this can be especially beneficial. Instead of just reading and getting your reading done, you know, stop and think about some things. In Israel, they never said God our Father. They said, God the Father, occasionally, and that was very occasionally. Never was God our Father until this person came on the scene, Jesus. And Jesus constantly said, God, my Father. And if God is his Father and we're part of Jesus, what does that make him? Our Father. And Peter's trying to get them to understand that. And again, some of them may have been Jewish Christians, but I think he's writing to Christians in general. And that you and I would understand, we have a heavenly father. How good is that? And again, I know some of us, maybe some of us had a horrible relationship with our dad, and, and, and that's bad, and, and you know, bummer. I, I, I mean, I, sincerely, I mean, that's a horrible thing. But don't judge the heavenly father by your earthly father. He said, we have a father. We, you know, maybe even some of us just hunger for that good father. Well, you have him, right? And he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, bringing up the big title, right? I always, I always say that. When you bring up like all three names, listen, man, you're, you're like explaining exactly who you're talking about. You know, the Lord is his, his uh, the sovereignty, Jesus is humanity, and Christ is his messianic role. So listen, he's making sure we understand. But I love this. Listen, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again. According to what? Why did God do what he did in your life? Because of his abundant mercy Underline that word abundant. Man, listen, we need to understand, we need to understand we're part of this family that he's just described in verse one and two because of God's abundant mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Don't forget that. Mercy has more to do with our funkiness then grace has more to do with God's goodness. Mercy has more to do with our funkiness. I'll just put it that way. We could use other adjectives, but we won't. But it's his abundant mercy. I love that idea. And his abundant mercy, listen, has begotten us again to a living hope. I, you know, I understand, and some of your translations might say, according to his abundant mercy, we have been born again into this living hope. But I kind of like the idea of begotten because here's what happens. When we are born again, something really happens. Something spiritually takes place in a person's life when they're born again. It's not, listen, it's not just a title. It's not just something to talk about. You are changed spiritually forever. And that's what John or Peter or Paul, whoever's wrote and writing this, <laughs> too much in my head, that's what Peter is trying to get us to understand that something radically has taken a place because of God's abundant mercy. Hallelujah, huh? 
this gets better and better, right? And then, listen, not only are we radically changed, here's what I love, we're radically changed into a living hope. Woo! Not just I hope, man, I really hope I get this, but the living hope of a relationship with God. And all of that happened, how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is some good stuff, right? So you read this, and here's what, here's what I think. What could I not face today? What could come my way that could devastate and take this away from me? Nothing. Oh, it gets better. Look, it, not only do I have to say it that way, verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So listen, he says, we, what is our living hope? Our living hope is this inheritance. Now, some of us, some of us, we're looking forward to an inheritance here from somebody. And some of us are really having that hope that it's going to happen. Well, this living hope isn't a hope, man, I hope. We have an inheritance that is a sure inheritance. It's a sure thing. And I love the way he puts it. He says, listen, man, this inheritance... It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. Do you ever think about that? Like if you've been through a family ordeal and there's an inheritance or a trust, some of us have lived through hell going through those. They're horrible. They're difficult. They're squabbling, etc. Not this one. Do you hear what he's saying, man? This one, this one can't get messed up. This one doesn't need lawyers, doesn't need judges, doesn't need arbitration. This is inheritance that's undefiled, not touched by human hands. That's a good thing, right? He says, not only is it undefiled, I kind of I like the idea. He says, he says not, it's incorruptible. It can't rot. It can't get putrid. It can't get ugly. It can't get nasty. And he says, listen, and... It does not fade away. It's not something that's going to lose its glory. I believe we live in a time where I got to have this, and then pretty soon this, like, eh, yeah, it's okay. It's kind of lost all of its appeal. Not this one. Do you hear what, do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying, you guys are about to face something horrible in your lives. You're about to face something that is going to be so atrocious, they're going to talk about it 2,000 years from now. Think about when Nero came against the church. Man, he took Christians, dipped them in wax and tar, and lit them on fire for torches. That's kind of heavy. It's some heavy stuff to live through as a believer, right? Somebody say. Some of you are not so sure. And he says, you're going to face that, so here's what you need to know. You were begotten again into a living hope. And that hope is an inheritance. And don't ever forget that. No matter how ugly it gets, no matter how hard it gets, that inheritance can't get messed up. It can't get stepped on. It can't start corroding. It can't start, it can't lose its, it can't lose its, its glamour. And you need to know that. Kind of reminds me, remember Jesus and Matthew when Jesus talked about he says, don't store up, uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's where we're going. And so Peter's looking at that. And then, listen, then it gets even better. So he says, listen, this is a reward. This does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So here's what I know. My true inheritance is in heaven waiting for me. Yes. Yes. And as I begin to meditate on that, here's what I know. I don't deserve it. But this God, this one I call my father, he's protecting it for me. He's taking care of it. And what's even greater than that is he chose me. And he picked me. Again, that does me good. I shared I've only been chosen for two things in my life. One was the United States Army. That's not good. And one, well, I guess three things. One, my wife chose me. That was good. And then God chose me. And he's keeping this thing. And listen, man, it's never going to go away. It's never going to get disrupted. And so then as he says this, he says, listen, he says, who are, in verse 5, who are kept by the power. I'm getting a phone call on my, on my iPad. Interesting. Hello? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Somebody changed my iPad because that one's not supposed to ring. Anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. Back to the study. So he says, listen, this is reserved in heaven for you. Check this out. Now here's where I think it gets best. So he says, reserved in heaven for you. Now to the you, who's the you? Us. Yeah, thank you. It's us, right? This thing's reserved in heaven for us. And us, we are being kept by the power of God. Yes, yes. Because if I can mess something up, I generally will do that. Again, maybe some of you are better at life and better at things, but I can mess things up. And here's what he's telling me, man. I don't have to have a tight grip on God. He's got a tight grip on me. I'm kept. Listen, I'm kept by the power of God. Doesn't that, doesn't that get you excited? Listen, especially, especially if you're facing persecution. Especially if you're having to walk through something that you never dreamt you were going to walk through, you need to know, man, God is on your side. And you and God always make a majority. If I was a younger brother, like younger brothers, we get this because here's the thing. Here's what you knew as a younger brother. Somebody picked a fight with you, you can go get your big brother. They'll be sorry. God is our big brother, right? I kind of like, so listen, he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what he's telling us. We're kept by the power of God for salvation. God is going to get us through and he's gonna bring us through at the right time. The last time, listen, he's not talking about High in the sky, he's saying, this is going to happen. God has a plan. God is working his plan. And you, church, you're part of his plan. And every person in the church is part of his plan. And he's not gonna mess up. 
He's not going to lose some of us. He's not going to forget some of us. Hey, some of us have had lives where, man, things didn't work out well and relationships got messed up. And, and so we kind of, you know, we've kind of been beat down. God is not going to do that to you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to quit on you. But here's the deal. Are you born again? You gotta go back to that. If you're a poser right now, even tonight, you don't have much assurance. And if you're a poser, if you're a poser, you definitely didn't like the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You're just ticked off. And that's okay. And some of you are going, are you calling me a poser? No, I didn't say that. Peter's saying, church, you can walk through this. And as you read the rest of his letter, he makes it perfectly clear. Things are gonna come your way that are gonna hammer you. And you can either walk through them with the Lord or you can struggle and fight and have a miserable life. I wanna enjoy this life. I wanna have a good time. And I think the best time I've ever had is in the last 35, 37 years that I've been walking with him. It gets better and better and better. My life prior to that, my first 32 years, not so good. So that makes me like 20, I think. <laughs> Let's walk with him, listen, and enjoy him. And so Peter's saying, man, listen, get a hold of this, and what greater confidence could we have then I believe, verses two, three, four, five. Get those in your heart and hide those and understand who you are in Christ. That's what Peter's wanting to do. So I don't think he was writing a doxology. Maybe he was. Maybe Peter was into the whole formal dox and ology stuff. But I think he's writing a letter to some people that he's trying to encourage. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we think about what we just read, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the challenge of what Peter has gone through and what he knows he's gonna go through. And I thank you that his relationship with you was secure enough, strong enough, good enough that he doesn't have a problem giving you all the glory and all the credit for who you are as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray that as believers, we wouldn't get fearful about humbling ourselves and then recognizing the greatness of our God and exalting our God. But most of all, Lord, I pray for everyone in here tonight that we would understand the truths that Peter just explained to that group, a bunch of people, those churches scattered throughout Turkey, that we would understand every single bit of that is just as true for us, this church here in Sierra Vista, that it's true for us, all we have to do is trust you. 
And God, I know it's easy to get caught up into things and I know how easy it is to get focused on things that really just become insignificant in light of your glory. So I pray that we could look at your glory and enjoy you. And I'm gonna ask you, stand an attitude of prayer just for you know, a little bit more here tonight. And you know what, if you are here tonight and you've never really understood this gift of salvation that you have, the fact that God sent his son to die for your sin and to take your place, I wanna encourage you right now is the time to do that. The Bible's really clear about the fact that we as people, humanity, we need a savior. The Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's just another way of saying, hey, we've offended a holy and righteous God. And that's the truth. And by doing that, we've earned the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. We've earned separation from God. That's what death is. He's talking about spiritual death as much as physical death. And we're separated from God because of our sin. All of that's ugly bad news. The good news is just what he wrote here, that Jesus came and died for our sins. He took our place so that we could have this gift of eternal life, or as we read, so that we can know we're born again to a living hope and we have this inheritance in heaven. If you don't know that and you don't realize that and that doesn't seem real to you, maybe tonight's a night to get real with God and let him know that you know you're really not in that place and call on his name. Let the Lord know that tonight you know you need salvation. If I'm talking to you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And this prayer's gonna be simple. You're gonna let God know that you know you're a sinner and you're gonna ask him to forgive your sins based on what Jesus did on the cross. So if you want that to be a reality in your life, say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently. But call on his name tonight. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right in your home. You don't have to be in this building. But it's gotta be sincere. And once again, you gotta be honest with God. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you for your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me tonight I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior